early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked into the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there. As well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head, the cloth was still laying in its place, separate from this, from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had risen from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am, as, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Thank you, Tim. We wouldn't have minded if you'd done it in a Welsh accent, because that's the language of heaven. Amen? (laughs) Start a riot this morning. Shall we pray as we come to God's word today? Lord Jesus, we thank you for this story, your story. And we thank you, Lord, that today it becomes our story. So we pray, Father, that we would meet you in your word and that you would speak to each and every one of us today. Father, we thank you that the same Holy Spirit who inspired these words, who raised you from the dead, comes to be near us every time we open this word to explain, to explore, to unveil, unpack. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray for all of us today right from the youngest to the oldest, right from the person who's been here the longest to the person who's the newest and everything in between, Lord Jesus, might we hear from you. Because your voice spans the years. Your voice speaks hope. Your your voice brings life. Your words are spirit and they are life. So might we hear your words today, Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. 
Amen. I'm going to ask you this morning, if that's okay, to to bear with me slightly. Uh, It's been quite a weekend for reasons that I'll explain in in just a moment. And um, just yesterday, I was looking over today and thinking about what we would do, and I've completely changed my mind. So if you're here for the second part of the Borrower series, that'll have to wait. Apologies for that, if anybody cares about that. Uh, We're going to explore something different this morning, so do do bear with me if that's okay. Uh, I'd love to start with quite a traditional uh, Easter Sunday morning reading from Leviticus chapter 21, just the standard, really. Uh, The high priest, the one among his brothers who has had the anointing oil poured on his head, and who has been ordained to wear the priestly garments, must not let his hair become unkempt or tear his clothes. Amen? (laughs) Just the standard Easter Sunday morning reading. I've been really struck this year, as we come to this weekend, just between the difference between the Old Testament and the New. And I don't know how grateful you are. I am so grateful that we live as part of the New Covenant are not part of the Old Covenant. You know, as we approach this weekend, the the Passover weekend for the Jewish people, uh, the traditional Jews, the Orthodox Jews, would have a lamb come and live with them for 10 days and care it and feed it and nurture it and then take that lamb. Because dealing with our sin is is not easy. Dealing with our sin is, is costly. If you're thinking, gosh, that sounds difficult, yes, it was. It's a difficult thing. And that lamb had to be perfect. That lamb had to be offered. And in so many other ways, the Levitical law, of which this is just a tiny part, had to be kept. The Jewish understanding was that if you broke part of the law, you'd broken all of it. In the same way that if I speed and I get caught and a policeman pulls me over, I can't say, well... I've, I've never killed anyone. It doesn't matter. You've broken this part of the law, and so you, you have to pay. And so it was down to this level of detail. Don't let your hair become unkempt. That's getting easier and easier for me, I know, as, as the uh, years go on. And don't, let, uh, don't tear your clothes, the garments that the priests had to wear, every inch of them drenched in this anointing oil, in the smell of God's presence, the, the oil of His Spirit. Uh, And also everything symbolic, every item mattered. Don't even let it be torn. Now, why have we started with that this morning? Well, I wanted to look that up because as I was reading the Easter story this year, you know sometimes things just jump out at you and you look and you say, "I've I've never thought of that before. There's a moment when Jesus is arrested. And he's taken uh, to the Sanhedrin and put on trial by the Jewish leaders. And we read this there that the high priest tore his clothes and said, he has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Now you have heard the blasphemy. I've got no idea if the high priest Caiaphas that year knew it or not, but as he tears his clothes, he is effectively resigning from service. He is effectively now unsuitable. He's unqualified for work in the temple, which means that the people need a new priest. Which means that the sacrifice on the day of the Passover is incomplete. It's not perfect. Caiaphas has torn robes. 
Just hold that thought for, for just a moment. I don't know if you saw the story uh, in the paper this week. I came across it yesterday. Uh, this is a photo that somebody posted on Twitter uh, of his dad looking rather bemused at a delivery. Uh, ironically, he'd gone online to order some reading glasses, and him and his wife were always losing their glasses. How many people can identify with that? So he thought he was buying about eight to ten pairs of glasses, uh, and what turned up were 60 pairs of, of reading glasses. Uh, what was amazing was this photo has been shared something like a million times, and people have commented on it. Somebody from Specsavers saw this story, uh, and their comment was brilliant. Their comment was simply this. Do we even need to say it? <laughs> you should have gone to Specsavers. And if I can say this respectfully this morning, this moment reminds me of that question. So we go, we go this morning to an empty tomb where the women have gone to anoint Jesus' body. There wasn't time for it. Uh, on the night when he died and he's taken and he's placed behind a, a, a stone. It's sealed with Pilate's own personal seal so nobody can get in. It's guarded by a garrison of soldiers, six soldiers, Roman soldiers, armed to the teeth, guarding this tomb. They want the world to know that Jesus is dead, that his claims of kingship and messiahship are over, that he's now consigned to the history books. They want no mistake about it. And so the women come really just hopeful of some mercy, hopeful that the, the soldiers will allow them to, they don't have to do this, will allow them to go into the tomb and anoint Jesus' body. And by the time they get there, the soldiers are lying on the floor like dead men. They've seen an angel, one angel, and they fall on the floor. I, I love the fact in this story, this is probably the, more the human part of me than the Christian part of me, I love the point in the story. The angel, when he meets the women, says to them, do not be afraid. He says nothing like that to the soldiers. A bit of fear won't hurt them. So they're, they're lying on the floor dead. And the stone is rolled away, and an angel's just sat on it. This is what I think of your attempt to stop Jesus. Uh, and Mary Magdalene goes in and realizes that the body is not there. She runs to the disciples and tells Peter and John, who sprint to get there. John's a younger man. He gets there first, he stands and, and looks in. Peter, being Peter, can't help himself. He goes galloping in. And they see something in the tomb. It's an empty tomb. It's empty of Jesus, but something's been left behind. The grave clothes. Now, interestingly, we've already sung this morning about the folded grave clothes. I've been reading recently about the word folded in the original language. And it doesn't mean what, what we think it means. It doesn't mean folded neatly, like a little sort of parcel of pajamas or something. Uh, it means that the body has forsaken its original folding. Jesus' body had been wrapped in two things, linen cloths and then a separate head cloth. And Jesus' body had been wrapped in those. So that word means that the grave clothes were still there, but they'd sunk in place. Somehow the body had escaped them. It says that John notices that the linen cloths are there and the headpiece. See, by all rights, they should have seen Jesus' neck in the gap. The fact that the neck was missing means that Jesus had escaped, had forsaken his grave. Isn't that amazing? Had forsaken his grave clothes. It says that John saw and believed. And then there's this verse that says they didn't fully understand that he'd risen from the dead. Isn't that amazing? 
John didn't fully understand, but he believed. Understanding is important, but sometimes it's overrated. Sometimes we delay belief before understanding, but for John, belief came first. Jesus has done something here, and his faith begins to rise. It'll take a while for his mind to catch up with it, but his heart is, is galloping ahead. And so then they leave, and we're left with this person, Mary Magdalene, someone who's come to know Jesus really well, someone for whom Jesus has, has cast out evil spirits, someone who loves Jesus deeply, and she stands there weeping. The other women leave, but for Mary, where else is she going to go? This is the last place she saw Jesus. And I guess love dies harder than hope, and so just in love, she, she stands there weeping. And then we're told that she sees two angels stood where Jesus was, one at the head and one at the foot. Now, I don't know what my response would have been to seeing two angels. But they ask her why she's crying, and she's not bothered at all by them. She says, where's Jesus? They've taken him away. If you know, tell me, and I'll, I'll go and get him. Mary's heart is just give me Jesus. Just Jesus. And I guess that's the place that Jesus wants to take each of us. Past the angels, past the evidence, past the understanding, to that place. I just want Jesus. It's beautiful. And then we have this, you should have gone the spec savers moment. When Mary stands there and there's a voice behind her that asks her the same question that heaven has already asked her. A, a, a question that holds so much power, so much potential. It, it's seemingly a silly question, an obvious question. Why are you crying? But if you know what's happened, it makes perfect sense. And Jesus says the same question. Why are you crying? And thinking that he's the gardener, she says, Sir, if you know where he is, tell me, and I'll go and get him. I just need to be with him. I just need to know where he is. I just need to do what I've, I've come to do. And then he says to her, Mary. Jesus simply spoke her name. I don't want to speak for too long this morning, not because I haven't got loads to say. You know me too well for that. But because, thank you. But because, because I believe that Jesus wants to speak. And I believe that Jesus wants to call us by name. See, there's a difference, isn't there, between knowing Jesus, hearing things that he said, believing things about him, and hearing him call us by name. Mary, in this moment, doesn't quite know what to do, and so I guess just gallops towards Jesus. And he says to her, don't hold on to me, I've got to ascend to my father. Uh, but before I do, I go and tell the brothers. He's never called them that before. This is the first time Jesus calls his followers, his, his brothers. Things have changed now through the cross and the resurrection, our relationship with Jesus. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, brothers, go and tell my brothers. I'm going ahead of them to Galilee. But as the perfect high priest, 
replaced Caiaphas. He's got to go through the heavens. See, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest, as we were thinking on, on Friday night, would go into the Holy of Holies, would disappear behind this giant curtain where God's presence was there to offer the blood of the sacrifice to God. But the people don't cheer yet because they don't know if the sacrifice will be received. Is the high priest perfect? Is the sacrifice enough? And so there is this holy pause. Thousands of people come for this moment to be in the temple, to be in Jerusalem. But you wouldn't cheer yet until the high priest reappears. And since they didn't have an appropriate high priest, Jesus has got to go and appear. Not to offer a sacrifice in a symbolic way in a temple, but to go through the heavens and offer his own sacrifice, his own body, his own blood, and then Jesus reappears. Don't hold on to me yet. I've got to ascend. Really interestingly, uh, Mary turns to him and says, Rabboni. And again, I've been struck by that as, as to what that word is and, and why that word. You may know the word rabbi which is the word for an ordinary Jewish teacher, rabbi. Anybody that, that, that worked in that way was called a rabbi. Uh, the next level above that was called the rabban, and they were kind of the rabbi of the rabbis, if you like. And only six people in history has ev have ever had the title of, of rabban. Hillel, who some of you may have heard of, effectively wrote the commentary for the Jews on the Old Testament. He was one, the guy that trained uh, the Apostle Paul, or Saul as he was then, he was another. But only six people in history. Nobody has ever been called Rabboni except Jesus. And it effectively means, you are my only rabbi. You are my only teacher. You are my only master. And see, when we hear Jesus call us by name, that's what we want to call him. That's the only thing we can call him. Jesus, be my only rabbi. Be my only guide. Be my only master. Just Jesus. Just Jesus. Why? Because the sacrifice is perfect. The sacrifice has been received. Another reason why um, you'll have to bear with me today is um, some of you have been praying for my mum. And uh, you may know she had uh, been told she was in the final stages of, of heart failure. And she'd made the difficult decision to turn her pacemaker off uh, because to with the state her heart was in, to survive another heart attack would be worse than, than not. And she'd made that decision and, and signed... Uh, DNR forms, I know a lot of you know, know about this, and uh, so as a family, we were journeying together. I know a lot of you had been praying with us and for us as a family together. Uh, yesterday, I uh, had a text from her, which was a photograph of a letter. Uh, she'd been to see, uh, for an echo, a cardiogram, a um, ECG, uh, and was waiting for the results of it, and she'd been out for a drive uh, and it got back, and there was obviously a late mail, and this letter was there waiting for her. And she kind of thought, do I want to read it today? You know, it's going to be a big day. We're going to see them today, as are some of other of the family. And do I want to know today what the consultant's got to say? And she just sent me a copy of the letter to say that somehow her heart failure has been reduced from severe 
to mild. Now, this doesn't happen. Heart failure can slow, but it does not improve. There's even some evidence that some parts of her heart that were hardening, there's no evidence that, of that at all. And you know those moments where you just keep looking at something, thinking, is this? What am I? <laughs> yeah, hallelujah, hallelujah would have been a better response. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely incredible. And she sent the letter through with this message. I no longer have a death sentence. And Jesus is our letter from God. You no longer have a death sentence. Death no longer has any claim on you. Jesus, the one who can repair hearts, who can repair bodies, who can hold our lives, has got you, has paid for you, and today wants to call you by name. So would you stand with me for just a moment? In a moment, I'm just going to pray for us, but... What I'd love to do before that, um, I, I love this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where Paul is, is talking uh, about the, uh, the resurrection. This will make a bang, don't jump, there you go. I told you, I told you. Uh, and he's, he's talking about the resurrection and the people that encountered this Jesus who calls us by name after Rome had put him where they thought he would be nameless and wouldn't be able to name anyone anymore. He says, for what I received, I passed on as of first importance. So we waste so much time, don't we, talking about things that are not important. Arguing about stuff of second or third or non-importance. This, he says, is of first importance. That Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. That he appeared to Cephas, that's another word for Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. It's amazing how he describes death now, isn't it? They've fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared also to me. As to one abnormally born, I'm the least of the apostles. Do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. I want to invite you this morning, if Jesus has called you by name, to simply come and add your name to the great roll call. This Jesus has appeared to me. My name belongs on that list. And like Paul, I don't feel worthy of that at all. Maybe for some of us today, we don't feel worthy for Jesus to call our name. But like Peter, as he sat on the beach that day, having betrayed Jesus, but Jesus still came, denied him, sorry. Jesus still came. Simon Peter, do you love me? Call him by name. So let's just stand in his risen presence today. And I simply want to invite him to speak to you. Through the prophet Isaiah, God says, Fear not, 
For I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the flames, they will not consume you. For I am your God, the Holy One of Israel. He calls you by name. Later, a couple of chapters later in Isaiah, he says, I will never abandon you. I'll never forget you. I've engraved you in the palms of my hands. He doesn't just know your name. He doesn't just speak your name. There at the cross, he engraves your name in the palm of his hands. So Lord Jesus, as we stand before you today, would you speak this truth to us? Whoever we are, whatever we've done, we're included. We're forgiven. We no longer have a death sentence. To you, our life is not just another insignificant statistic. But we are the reason you came. That you might offer your perfect life. Your perfect sacrifice. So that we could be free. 